Hello, everybody. Today's guest on the podcast is Mark Dijon. Mark is a licensed massage therapist who specializes in active release technique, or ART. I began seeing Mark back in May 2019 after dealing with carpal tunnel syndrome for nearly six years. Mark really helped me figure out what was actually going on, and after just the first few treatments with him, I really started to see improvements. And it took about 10 treatments to fix me completely, and I haven't had any symptoms for the past six months or so. I still do daily maintenance, but I've been able to keep symptoms at bay with just a few simple stretches and some self-care tools that we talk about in the episode. I highly recommend this episode if you're a rock climber or any kind of athlete for that matter, specifically if you are suffering from carpal tunnel syndrome or a tendonitis or tendinosis or any other overuse injury, I think this could be a really helpful episode. We talk about a good mix of stuff in this episode. We start out covering some of the more theoretical geeky science that might help you understand how overly tight muscles can become an injury in and of themselves and how they can lead to other injuries and what we can do about it. Some of the exercises and treatments that we talk about are pretty hard to describe, so I found videos for pretty much everything, and all of that is linked in the show notes at thenuggetclimbing.com. I found a really comprehensive video that describes ART and how the treatment works, so you guys can get a good visual. If you have any questions from this episode, feel free to reach out. If you contact Mark, just tell him I sent you. And I would be happy to share my maintenance protocol if people are interested in that. Okay, let's get to it. Please enjoy this conversation with Mark Dijon. So I thought we could start just with covering what ART is, because I think for a lot of people, it's going to be something they've never heard about before. So what is ART? It's a little hard to define just in a nutshell. We're dealing with muscles, tendons, ligaments, nerve, fascia, joints. We're trying to get things to move better. So it's a systematic approach protocol driven so we have you know protocol for a shoulder and all the related protocols will go along with that shoulder so it's active motion with creating tension or pressure in the tissues that are the tightest to try to rebalance the load on the shoulder joint speaking of shoulder just specifically in order to get it so it moves well without pain and not dysfunction we're all pretty dysfunctional in how we move no matter what we do and uh it, trying to get the soft tissue load to balance out so it's comfortable and in a range that works gets rid of problems for people so okay yeah and it stands for active release technique correct okay so people are actively in motion doing their own motion of a shoulder motion like reaching across the front of their body as implying pressure and tension mostly to the tissues not the skin but trying to get into the deeper tissues to lengthen those out specifically where my contact is to increase the range of motion so they're re-educating themselves to the active motion as i'm treating it and that's the you know it in a, kind of in a nutshell it also deals with uh, nerves being compressed within tissues and releasing one tissue next to each other. So there's relative motion and they slide next to each other, okay. uh, which will take pressure off of nerves, things like that. So, and it also deals with fascia. So long lines of fascia in the body, whether it's from your neck all the way down to your fingers, we try to release it and get it to move better. So there's less pain and less pressure. Got it. Mm -hmm. So I started seeing you, I think it was back in May of 2019. We're speaking in February of 2020 now or January. 
I first came to you because I had been dealing with carpal tunnel syndrome for six years at that point. And when I first went to the doctor, I, I was waking up every night and I was having sh this shooting nerve pain all the way up my arm, into my shoulder, into my neck. And I thought that I had a pinched nerve in my neck or... Um, thoracic outlet? Yeah, I thought I had thoracic outlet syndrome or something to that effect. And I had kind of self-treated or, or just managed the carpal tunnel for six years. It wasn't really getting any better. It wasn't really getting any worse, but I always thought it was an inflammatory issue. And so a lot of my protocols doing cold water baths, things like that were really targeted around trying to suppress inflammation. Yeah. And I remember after just a few sessions with you, and I don't know if you realize how significant this was, but you, you were working on me and you were like, you know, dude, I don't think it's inflammation. I, you just have the tightest forearms I've ever seen yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you're injured and we can fix you. And I, I think I got tears in my eyes. I was like, oh my gosh, I feel hopeful for the first time in six years. Yeah, that's important. So, so how was my, the tightness in my forearms an injury? Well, over time, as you do long holds, like a, an isometric hold, shall we say, and you just stay there and it stays tight, it, it sets up a similar process to a crush or tear injury, even though there hasn't been a crush or tear injury in, mm. internally in the muscle. So you get a, um, a less oxygen flow through the muscle, less blood through flow, right? Less oxygen flow through the muscle. And your body reacts to that tension and that load over time as an injury. So it starts laying down scar tissue on an area that really doesn't necessarily need scar tissue laid oh, down wow. upon it. Right. So where ART comes in, so tr typical would be arrest it, ice it, heat it, stretch it. Mm -hmm. um, and where ART comes in, we try to derail that whole cumulative injury cycle setting up this weird crush and tear like cycle where it's just laying down scar tissue and come in at the point of stretching out the tissue that's tight, stretching out the adhesions that can form and uh, the chronic contracture of the muscles and the tissue in that area by shortening the tissue initially, placing a contact into it, rolling tension up the tissue towards the heart basically is the idea, and then lengthening the tissue out to its maximal length in order to get that spot, much like pressing on a guitar string on a fret, on a fretboard on the guitar. Mm, I like that analogy yeah, a lot. So, so the, yeah, that's the, that point of contact is the tightest point. It's all done by palpation skill and learning to assess what's correctly tight or what's tight and what needs to be corrected rather. Palpation skill? Yeah. It's really being able to feel and know the areas that are tight. Okay. What's actually just tight tissue what's actually really dense tissue that needs to be released. Okay. Um, and then getting that to lengthen out maximally while I've got a contact on it to stretch that tissue, to lengthen it in the same direction the muscle fires in and moves in. So it's like you, with deep tissue massage, you can go in and break things up. But in that process of breaking things up like that, you are kind of doing a crush and tear injury a little bit because oh. if it's a super deep tissue work, you're separating things out and sure that's, that can be very helpful. I mean, I've had amazing deep tissue massage that's really helped me. So I'm not bashing it, but I'm saying this is a different approach than that. I'm really trying to be, uh, I'm not trying to just go in and blow apart a whole muscle structure or, or chain of muscle. I'm trying to be really like a sniper, if you will, going and finding these are the spots, the tightest, or these are the spots that are stuckest, shall we say? Stuckest. Yeah. yeah. And trying to get those to let go by doing the active release on them. Okay. Yeah. And you're a licensed massage therapist as well, correct? That's correct. That's, that's the main license that I fall under an ART okay. is, a, is a modality. 
So Got it's a it. type of therapy. So you don't, I was curious when I saw that, if you actually practiced other forms of deep massage or is it, is it really just ART at this point that you focus on? Pretty much ART at okay. this point. I mean that, that, and you know, there's, there's other things like kinesio taping and giving people stretches to do and some things like that, but it's mostly the hands-on work I'm doing is active release techniques. Okay. Yeah. And I really like that, um, that imagery of the guitar and the fretboard. I think that'll resonate with a lot of people, but mm. just an, as another visual for people, what the carpal tunnel treatment looked like for me is I would basically give you my arm and you would grab it like mid forearm and press down as hard as you could with your thumb with one hand. <laughs> it, while my fist was kind of curled up while my hand rather was kind of curled up into a fist and my wrist was bent towards me with my palm facing upwards, then you would slowly uncurl my hand while keeping your thumb pressed on the areas that you found to be the, the most tight. Yeah. Right. So it would set that depth into the tissue and it wasn't just about going straight in. It was about going in and then rolling tension up the line of the tissue. Okay. So it's, that's, that's what kind of separates ART from other things is there's a method of massage or stretching called pin and stretch where they'll, they will shorten a tissue up, but then they just smash straight into the tissue and it's not the same because they're not just, they're, you know, I'm setting a depth in the tissue, but then I'm trying to push up, like I'm pushing up a ribbon up in your arm, hmm. a ribbon of muscle, like that guitar string, right? So I'm trying to get on that and hold it in a direction as you lengthen it out. So as it gets longer, I'm able to stay parked in the same spot and create more shear on the tissue rather than just straight compression into it. Okay. That's the real difference between ART and say pin and stretch other than hundreds of protocols and a lot more <laughs> science. <laughs> so are, are there any videos that you have or that you would recommend that just showcase what ART is that I could link to for people for a reference? You know, I think there's got to be plenty of stuff on YouTube. There's a okay. lot of chiropractors who put out a lot of information on ART. Maybe I'll find something and, yeah. and vet it with you. That'd probably a good call. <laughs> okay. And then, yeah, I'll link to that over in the show notes. Show how to do it wrong. I think it's hard. Yeah, and it's hard to wrap your head around this if you haven't seen it. But as soon as you see it, it, it it's kind of clear what the goal is or what the modality looks like. Yeah, I agree. It's pretty straightforward, actually. When you watch a video of it, you're like, oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. But describing it's not always the easiest. Right. <laughs> so one thing that was surprising to me is I was, I'm the kind of person that I kind of want all the homework because I want to make sure I'm doing absolutely everything I can to make this thing go away. And you didn't give me a whole lot of homework. No, it was really You're like, already we need overwhelmed. To... <laughs> <laughs> you were. yeah, that's what makes you say that. Well, just cause you've been trying so many things for so long mm. and you, you obviously a very smart guy and you're into research and you want to learn as much as you can about how to fix what's going on. And sometimes you can uh, bury someone with too many things and then they're doing things. Maybe they got from a PT as well. And they're doing some things that they saw online and I'd write it try to keep it simple initially for people because there's big things I can give you to do that will make good change. And there's tons of minutia we could get into, Sure, but I try to detail out or do the sniper work when you come in to see me and make the best when you're in my office of the time spent. And then you do a lot more of the bigger dynamic stretches outside and that can, they, they dove well together, dovetail well together. Okay. Yeah. So, but if I overload you with homework and things to do, then there's less chance that people are compliant. Got it. I saw something online today where somebody said, uh, you know, they're praying to God for a cake. Oh God, I just love to have a cake, you know? And God goes, well, here's all the ingredients to make the cake. And people go, oh, it looks like a lot of work. Right. So it's like, well, it is, <laughs> you know, you can't just 
show up at anybody's office, whether it's a physical therapist or an acupuncturist, massage, whoever you've got, if they give you things you should do, even if they're simple, you should try to do those because patient compliance is the hardest thing as a provider, right? You're great. You did everything. (laughs) And that's one of the reasons you're well. It's good to hear. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. We're all looking for a silver bullet, right? Mm -hmm. And a quick fix. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's the fast and free and high quality, highest quality possible. Yeah. Well, that's, you know, (laughs) pick one, pick one (laughs) and pay for it or whatever. Got it. Yeah. So you work with a lot of different athletes, I presumably a lot of different types of injuries. Do you often prescribe some sort of movement or homework with this type of thing? Like, do I, I guess my question is, is ART often a fix in and of itself, or does it need to be paired with some other practice that people are doing? You know, I think the reason there are so many chiropractors that do active release techniques is because the two combine very, very well together. Okay. Whereas I'm looking at the body much like a chiropractor and a physical therapist both look at the body. So I'm a weird guy in the middle of the massage and chiropractic PT models okay. uh, where I, I look at it from all three schools of thought, even though you know, I didn't go to f- get a degree in chiropractic, I totally understand their, their methods because I teach these guys. I've been teaching active release for oh, geez, 13 years now. So I've taught them. I know how they think. I know what the idea is behind all the different schools of chiropractic because there's many of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know what their outcomes are, what they're shooting for. And if you can do the soft tissue work prior to doing any adjustment type work, chiropractic adjustment type work, it just makes it go better and it makes it hold longer. So it's really a positive. The guys that are doing the combination of, of active release techniques and chiropractic are having a lot of success because, and they're switching more away from chiropractic, the traditional cracking and popping to doing more of the muscle work because it's less liability. Oh yeah. It's safer for them to work on a cervical spine. If you're just taking it through a range of motion and working the musculature to get the bones to be in the right place rather than taking it to an end range and doing a velocity pop adjustment at the end. That always freaks me out. It freaks out a lot of people <laughs> and it's why there's a lot of different, you know, tappy type tools and stuff that have come out. But, um, just learning the musculature in the neck and going through the protocols and, and doing it right. You can really get a lot more movement in a cervical spine or any of the lumbar segments, thoracic segments, just by doing soft tissue work that uh, then holds and stays versus Got it. just doing the adjustment work. So, which works too, though, you know, there's been, that's why chiropractic works. It's been around a long time, right? but the two together are really a powerful combo. Okay. And so it, are you saying that a lot of these chiropractors brought in ART, found better results with both, and now some of them are moving to just ART? Yeah, that's exactly okay. right. Got and it. they're still doing adjustment work because you can't blame the guys. They're, they're insurance-based yeah. practices and they get paid for adjustment work, yeah. but they don't always get reimbursed for active release. Okay. So it's, they have to still do some manual adjustments, um, which makes sense, but that's the model of insurance. We don't need to go down that road. (laughs) So one thing I really appreciate working with you is that you take a really holistic approach and we worked upstream downstream. It wasn't just, you know, you, I think you could see pretty early on that it was tightness in my forearm. That was probably the root cause. Right. But then we worked up into my shoulder, my upper arm and my neck and I saw a big leap forward just working on the forearm. I I was actually also dealing with some elbow tendonitis. So I started taking time off from climbing like a serious length of time for me, a month or two where I wasn't climbing much. And that's when I really felt things shoot forward. But then I I think 
things plateaued a little bit. And then once we started working up more into my shoulder and neck, I felt another leap forward. And then I went from feeling pretty good to like, oh my gosh, I think this thing is gone. I think it's cured now. So can you speak to why you took that holistic approach and why it's important to go up and down the chain? Yeah, sure. Uh, I think because we started with the initial biggest problem, right? Which was all the hand and, and forearm pain, elbow pain. And when that started clearing, but then started plateauing, I mean, we went further up into the shoulder and then it was like, geez, we really got to get after your neck too. It's really almost compensation where certain things, muscles are working for other muscles and not to go down a rabbit hole on it. Yeah. But it's definitely one of those things where it's all a system. It's not just a, a hand and a wrist and a forearm and a arm and a shoulder. They're all working in conjunction and all long lines, like a bunch of ropes tied together. Mm -hmm. uh, so if one thing's not working, another thing is taking over and, uh, it's, it's just how the body functions. So to, it's like, it's cheating its way around a problem. Uh, if you got a pain somewhere, the muscle doesn't work as well because that muscle's in pain. So if your elbow's hurting and it's not functioning well, it could be because your shoulder's not working well and this is picking up the slack and now it's gotten to a point where it's inflamed and now it won't work as well either. Mm. <laughs> so there's always something else to treat. So it's like looking at the system and how it's tied together and then taking it to the next level and then to the next level, kind of whittling away at it and sanding it down and getting it so it's nice and smooth and functioning again. That's really the, the, the whole approach that I try to take. Got it. Yeah. Long, long tissue lines, not just one spot and treat a symptom. I'm trying to get to the root cause of why things exist and change that. Cause that's to me more effective than hammering away at one spot only. Okay. So my injury presented as carpal tunnel syndrome. What are some of the other, have you worked with climbers before? Oh yeah. What are some of the other symptoms that have presented from? Well, it's so much forearm stuff. Yeah. Right. That's the biggest thing I see because it's the number one, you know, you're going to live if you hang on. Yeah. <laughs> right. So <laughs> it's not quite but that I mean, there's, there's other stuff, you know, unless you're Alex not belaying, right. Yeah. Right. It's <laughs> some sort of weird belay thing where somebody gets hurt or, you know, uh -huh. but a lot of, uh, neck and shoulder stuff from looking up like that and doing that type of stuff too, but it's primarily forearms. So that's, and what are the issues that people come to you with as far as like the symptoms that well, it's going to be similar to what you had. Uh, okay. It's going to be similar. So it's going to be numbness, tingling in hands, mm. tendonitis is in the elbows, uh, impingements in shoulders, headaches and things like that from, you know, upper traps in your neck are really tight from pulling and holding and looking up that type of thing. I see That's what I'm going to see from that. Um, and I don't know why it is. I think, I think, I think everybody stretches their forearms and they do an okay job when they're <laughs> on out there, but it's never, it's like, Oh, I pulled my fingers back for a half a second or two seconds. And yeah. that's considered a stretch in your mind real quick. Like, Oh, I got to push here, push here. It really got to stop. Take a minute or two, go through some nice stretches, let the arm pump drop, you know, that kind of thing, um, to really have a, a change happen. Um, Cause you're not time-based, right? It's like, you got time, stop and stretch. Well, I, I love this <laughs> yeah. topic. So how yeah. should we be stretching? Uh, it's kind of the typical stuff where I was talking about so straight and straighten out your elbow in front of you completely and letting your palm forward down, uh, in front of you like that. And then pressing against the wall, pressing against the table, anything to stretch out the wrist flexors on okay. one side. And then going from the palm up, arm extended straight out in front of you, go palm down close your fingers in, bend your wrist down and then pull on your wrist to kind of get a stretch on the backside of those finger extensors too. Mm. So just even just doing those two things 
can help so much with, you know, the pressure you're feeling in your arms, things like that. So for listeners, Mark's holding his arms straight out in front of him. The first one, his palms facing up to the ceiling and then bending his wrist so that his palm is flat against a wall in front of him and right. leaning into that. Yeah. And then the opposite one, now your palms facing down towards the ground, you make a fist and you pull your fist down towards the ground with your other hand. Right. And w what kind of a protocol would you recommend? Just hold it statically or? Yeah, I'd hold it statically for give it 30 seconds. And really the biggest common mistake that happens with people that are stretching is they're like, oh, wow, that's a good stretch. And whoa, man, it's really starting to hurt. It kind of ramps up in pain as you hold it. Mm. The, the thing to listen to is if you're ramping up to pain and it's getting to be pretty intense, you're just actually kind of tearing tissue. You're not really stretching it any longer. <laughs> okay. So that's a counterproductive. I mean, sure. you want to feel a pull, but not a pain, uh, kind of a Bernie stretch is okay. But if it starts building into really, Oh man, if I just keep holding this, the pain must be good pain gain, you know, mm -hmm. it's like, uh, no pain, no gain. I don't buy that totally. I mean, there's going to be some discomfort, but it shouldn't be straight up pain during okay. a stretch like ever. And what about timing as far as before a climb, before a workout, mid-workout, post-workout? You know, if you're not warmed up, then, um, you know, 30 seconds on a hold for, for stretching is going to be fine. If you've already hiked way in someplace, your blood's pumping and everything else, you know, still start with 30 seconds on each side, then build up to a minute, you know, do 30, then do 45, then do a minute just to try to get things to warm up and move a little bit better. Okay. Yeah. And I've heard in the past from other sources that before workout, it seems like consensus is it's better to do more dynamic stretching sure. or even I think PNF stretching. I can't remember what that stands for. Yeah. Proprioceptive neuromuscular facilitation. I think. Thank it's you. A big one, right? Yeah. yeah. So there's a reason yeah, I, I think that's remember. right. Yeah. So <laughs> doing a stretch and then doing a muscle contraction in that end range, you know, that would be better before a workout or during a workout and then a longer isometric static hold would be better for after workout. Is there, yeah. What are your thoughts on that? And there's, there's schools of thought that say that if you don't do dynamic, then you're, you're, you know, well, if you're doing static rather, if you're doing static, you're actually making your muscles weaker because you're kind of hurting them some as you go to do your workout, like right prior, hmm. uh, because it's just a static stretch and hold. Well, I think a lot of that comes out of the fact that people push it too hard. <laughs> okay. You know, I, I think dynamic is great. I think it's a great way to, to warm up and do stretches. And I think that that's actually preferable for runners and things like that, that are doing a super high volume, repetitive, you know, turnover. Um, you, you guys as climbers are doing a lot of long static holds. So some longer stra static stretches, not necessarily a bad thing. Okay. Uh, but yeah, the dynamic stuff is great where you do a contraction at the end and, and then, you know, take it the opposite direction, do yeah. that kind of stuff. That's not bad to do either. I mean, okay. I, I think they're both good. Pretty much anything you can do that doesn't hurt you. <laughs> just do something. <laughs> do something. Yes. <laughs> Instead of just, I'm going to be on the rocks for eight hours and no, I didn't do anything, you know? So yeah, yeah, it's, that's the cumulative problem that happens with, with you drink a beer. forearm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Dry yourself out a little more. Um, as you're doing it, you know, it's like people are also reactive instead of being proactive. Mm. And as climbers, people push themselves pretty hard. It's really intense. And you, uh, have a tendency to say not, or you, just anybody sure. has a tendency to not really react to things until it's way too late. And it builds up over time. And a tendonitis doesn't just happen from one climb. Mm -hmm. It was long time coming to get there. And the reason it showed up is most likely because the muscles are so tight, uh, that finally they hit a point where 
well, it just, it starts pulling at the tendon and starts tearing the tendon because they're not elastic anymore. Mm. If you think of a muscle as a shock absorber, okay. So it, yeah, it contracts and relaxes, but it also has the ability to absorb shock and anything that's shock based of any kind, whether you just grab them really quick and hard, that sine wave of shock from whatever you did says tennis or whatever, if you're hitting something, you're grabbing and holding hard on something, that sine wave goes down that muscle to the attachment point at the tendon. And if it's a really tight muscle, that power transfer is just bang straight to the tendon and it doesn't slow down the shock wave oh. much. And a tight muscle is, you know, going to cause more tendon problems than one that the sine wave slows down. It has a chance to dissipate some before it gets to the tendon. So you don't get the irritation happening. That's why getting things to move and be open is so important. Oh, I like that. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Well, you know, think about scar tissue. It's not going to go away. It's a lattice structure that your body laid down in order to create support. So with ART, I'm trying to stretch that lattice in the same direction the muscles move rather than just have it be gum in the carpet. Mm. Yeah, it's just my thought on it. You can't, you, you can chunk a gum in your carpet. It's not going to necessarily come out real easy. You know, <laughs> yeah. And if it's, if it's, let's call it, it's not necessarily in the carpet. Let's call it in fabric, like in a shirt that's supposed to stretch and move. If it's in the shirt and it's, and it's really quite, you know, gummed in there um, and it's hard and dry and gross you pull on it and all the tissue around that spot that's tight moves, but that spot doesn't move except for on either side of it, which can set up a potential for a problem for it to tear on either side of the scar tissue too. Okay. <laughs> so I try to get that scar tissue or that spot to stretch out and lengthen in the same direction that the muscle fires and contracts in that way we get rid of the gum in the carpet for one or the fabric and it's it's elongating and it's allowing it, the muscle to, to really truly release and open again. So. Mm -hmm. That's my gum in the carpet theory. <laughs> I like it. That's a good visual. <laughs> Try to come up with them. So I, I think there's this uh, perception that tighter muscles are stronger or that muscles need to be tight to some extent to, to be strong. Um, obviously, it, you know, at the point that I was at, I don't think I was thinking that I was just, I didn't really know what the issue was and I was injured. I, my, I was so tight that it seems like my body had put down scar tissue, but what are your thoughts on that? Do muscles need to have some level of tightness to be at their optimal level of strength? You know, I, I, they all will have some sort of level of tension going on. Uh, and the more they're used and the more of a static holding type thing, like low back muscles, they, low back doesn't love to move much. It likes to flex and extend some. Mm. So muscles in the low back are generally always tight. They just are because they're holding the upper half to the lower half. And, um, no, I, I don't know. I, w I would say it's a, it's a, it's one of those things where, yeah, you got to have some tension in your muscles, but as soon as you start contracting them, it's there. Mm -hmm. You know, I've worked on athletes that are sinewy cross country, like mountain bike world, world cup level folks. And I've worked on one guy who, uh, he was like working on a, a ropey horse. I mean, it was amazing. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then the very next person I work on is a 24 hour endurance rider, a female uh, out of Idaho. And she, her muscles are so mellow and so smooth and easy to work with and easy to find everything and soft and easy to work with versus the sinewy, tough muscles. So I think we're so genetically different mm. that you've got this person that's in a multi-world champion, female, multi-world champion, male guy that I'm working on. And they are so dramatically different in their physiology Yeah, just based on what I'm feeling in the tissue. So I don't think there's one say, yes, having tight muscles is good. I would say, yeah, sure. To an extent we have to have integrity mm -hmm. in our bodies, but not to the point of, yeah, just being really tight everywhere is good. Not really. Okay. 
but also being super hyper mobile also is not good. Yeah. So is there a level of, is there an amount of stretching or a level of flexibility that's also no good? You can destabilize things if you go too nuts with, with some stretching routines, Yeah, yeah which is going to be a problem. But then that's just a matter of strength training and trying to build the muscle back up so they're tighter, a little bit tighter, yeah. you know. But I see people that are ballerinas that come in and they've got a hamstring injury except for they can stand there on one leg and basically bring their other leg up next to their head, but yet they still have a, a hamstring injury, right? Hmm. You think with that kind of mobility, it wouldn't, wouldn't happen, but it's load versus capacity. You know, sometimes you do too much hmm. and you tear a, some tissue just because you went over the ability that your body could handle for that day. Got it. Yeah. It's probably one of those things where it's as simple as if you're the type of person that does yoga all the time and stretches all the time, you should probably not worry about it and focus more on strength. Yeah. And if you're Stability. the person that's never stretched in your life, you're the, probably the person that's too tight and you need to start stretching. <laughs> totally. Yeah. That's uh, I couldn't said it better. That's exactly right. All right. Yep. So how did you get started with ART? You know, I've had another business prior to this. I was in like the construction business and, um, I'd always grown up in a family of like back rubbers, you know, like my mom would rub my back, I'd rub my dad's back. We'd always take care of each other that way. It was just, I think that's kind of cool. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't weird, but it was cool. <laughs> and, um, you know, what a nice gift to give each other. Right. Yeah. And that just kept on coming back to me. And, you know, then I got married and I married a lady who was a massage therapist and that, that took me down that path of, you know, saying, well, maybe this is the right way to go. And, um, I, went to school and got the massage therapy certification here locally at COCC. And, uh, this program was fantastic when I went through it. And, uh, before I got done with the program, I realized that, uh Oh, I'm a guy and I want to do this, but ignorance and fear is in my way. And what I mean by that is that there's men that won't go to guys for massage. There's women that won't go to guys for massage. And there are women that go to guys to mas for massage, but their husband or boyfriend doesn't want them to go to a guy. Ah, yeah. Sure. <laughs> like it's inappropriate in some way. And right. Of course it's not going to be. Right. So I was like, oh gosh, you know, I don't want to just apply oil to people all day long and do deep tissue work. Um, because I would have people that were coming back again and again for the same stuff. And mm. I'm like, well, this, this is helping them and it's decreasing symptoms, but I'm not fixing the problems that are there. And that, so I never really had a real job satisfaction coming out of it, even though it was, I was helping. So before I was even done with school, I started taking, I took my first ART seminar. Okay. And I, yeah. Cause I just had to do something and knew I had to change up what was coming at me. How did you find that? Uh, through a local lady who's a triathlete. She's like, you really, you know, you should check this out. I had it done at an Ironman event and I really enjoyed it. And it made me feel so much better. I had a cramping calf that I was really worried about. And I got it resolved in a couple of sessions with this ART person. And I did my Ironman and I finished well. So she's like, you should really look at doing this because there isn't anybody doing it in Bend. Hmm. Uh, so I went after it and got the initial certifications done. And uh, I was so into it that by the time I got to my sixth class and I was starting to retake the initial three courses, which are upper, lower and spine, they saw how into it I was and they said, Hey, do you, if you apply yourself just a little more, we want you to instruct and come in as an assistant instructor and start learning how to do this and how to teach it. And oh, cool. Yeah. And that just took my levels just through the roof because mm. then I had to know it. Cause if you can't explain it and do it and teach people how to, then you're not going to be great. Totally. So, no, that's great. Yeah. Teaching is such a, a, it's a wonderful gift, right? way to learn. Yeah. And I know what I do for my patients is such a, a, a gift for them. And I wanted more people to experience that. And if I can 
train the world on how to do it. It's just a butterfly effect, right? Mm-hmm. And someone's light comes out in their head and they get it. Then they go and apply it in their office. And even though I'm not there in the office doing it for them, they learn from me and from the program and they're out making the world a, a happier place. Now they're nicer to their dog. They're nicer in traffic. You know? <laughs> <laughs> they like their lives more because they're not in pain. So I figured this was a good, good direction ahead. And that's how I got on the path to it. Cool. So teaching was there from the, really from the beginning. Yeah. Pretty close. Yeah. Yeah. Within a year and a half. Yeah. Okay. And how long have you been doing it now? About 15, 15 years coming up this fall. Wow. Yeah. It's kind of wild. At what point did you start your own business with it? Immediately. Okay. Yeah. It was from the beginning. Gotcha. Yeah. That's, I guess that makes sense. That's the only way to really practice. Well, a lot of people go down the car, you know, I'm going to work for a chiropractor or mm-hmm. I'm going to just, you know, work for some spa and just do massage and things like that. But mm-hmm. I, I just wanted to have my own thing and I'd had my own thing in the past. So with construction, with construction. Yeah. Okay. So I was like, I know how to market and talk to people and do things. So it's not like I did a ton of marketing. It was more, you know, working with local groups, like whether it's a triathlete group or the running clubs and things like that. Yeah. So I saw that looking at your bio on your website, you were a member of the performance care team on a bunch of Ironmans and triathlons around the country. You had one in China. I know you're a, a pretty proficient bike rider, mountain biker mm-hmm. and road biker yourself. Is that how you got into that or about getting into the triathlons and working on those events? Yeah. Working on those events on the performance care team. Active release kind of promotes the concept of, Hey, it'd be really great if you showed up to an Ironman and worked it. Okay. And you know, <laughs> they're not paying us by the way. Oh, okay. It's really, it's a volunteer gig to go yeah. and work an Ironman. And that's you, your marketing. The, yeah. And they think, well, that's in market for you and it's going to work well. And it, it does work okay to an extent, but you know, if you go to an event that's in Coeur d'Alene or Madison, Wisconsin or wherever, you're really working on people that are for coming in from all over the place to do Ironmans. It's not necessarily the best marketing thing, but it is team building from the ART standpoint. Sure. Like, oh, you showed up and helped us. Like that kind of thing. Okay. But, you know, the people that are high level athletes seek out active release typically. Okay. It's not something that's, you know, not in their, their regular repertoire. I mean, every major team, baseball, football, if there's a couple of football teams that don't have them on it, I'd be surprised. Don't wow. have providers now. Okay. And there's guys that won't go players that won't go from one NFL team to another, unless there is someone there that can work on them that does active release. So, yeah. you know, they like it. Uh, but to get back to the point, um, you know, just my experience and my experience of working with athletes locally, uh, I was really lucky to be working with some high end runners initially in my practice. And that, that really, you know, the people see you working on the best guy in town and they want to know who goes, the, you know, who's this best guy. And I want to go, go to his therapist and get worked on there. Yeah. So that really helped launch me and, and get me going on the front end of things. So much props to the runners. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, but running is, a, you know, I tell people running is a one legged sport. You're on one leg and then you're on the other leg. Huh. A lot of biomechanical things can go wrong from one leg to the other leg okay. <laughs> and during the whole process. Right. So, uh, you got to balance out the load and you have to, you have to get it moving right. So people can do it pain free. Hmm. Yeah. So, you know, and that took me to China with the North Face, Cammy Semek. I don't think she'd mind me mentioning her name. She's on my website and everything else. As a wonderful lady. Uh, she is multi-world champion in discipline of running, whether it's 100K road racing, you know, 62 miles of running on the road. Ooh. Yeah, painful, right? And think about that for a minute. Uh, it's a 100-mile endurance running. and Puked and, in my mouth a little bit. Yeah, exactly. How could that not happen? Uh, but amazing, right? You know, just yeah. to be able to do that stuff. And she, she's, she was injured and wasn't getting results, even when in Hong Kong, where she was living at the time, she was living here first, moved there for her husband's job for a while. And she came back here 
and was injured pretty bad. And inside of two or three sessions, I figured out what it was with her, with her hamstring issue and treated that it really kind of saved her for being able to do this next event because they were offering surgery. And if they did surgery, she wasn't going to run anymore. Oh, wow. And this is not a person that should not be running. You yeah. Know what I mean, it's like if I said, Hey Steven, you're not going to be climbing anymore. Oh my gosh. Right. Yeah, exactly. My head would explode. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's like taking a border collie that's not crate trained and putting it in a crate, <laughs> you know, it's going to freak out. Right. So I didn't want that. Uh, and we're able to get her moving better again. She goes, you've got to come on this event in China. We're doing 18 days through the mountains of Yunnan province and oh, wow. it's two American runners, her and Nikki Kimball, and then, uh, two Chinese runners and two from Hong Kong. And, uh, it was a really cool experience and I'm glad I went and did it. Um, it was, it was, it was worth it cool. <laughs> to see that and see the world and, and be able to use my skills to keep them going during, during that event. Cause they're running between 30 and 80 miles a day through really rugged mountains and having to wayfind cause there's no really great maps in China mm-hmm. and they had to find their way through all that. Wow. Yeah. So it was neat. It was a neat experience. So were you setting up the tent and just working on them at the end of the day, every day? Uh, thankfully it wasn't a tent. Yeah. Thankfully it was, <laughs> thankfully it was in the hotel Okay. and, uh, we just set up an area somewhere in the hotel in a, in a conference room or in a bedroom even. And, and I just treat people in there every day or, and I was along the way too, to make sure things were going right, whether they needed kinesio taping and some body work to get them over the next ridge or whatever we had to do to keep them going. Hmm. Uh, not that it was a race. It was more of an expedition for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, cause people hadn't done this before. It was called the Tian horse trail. There's a YouTube video. Of, of, of this that you could link if you wanted to. Yeah, I'll link, link to, to it for it. sure. Yeah, it's pretty neat to watch. Cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to watch it I'm, myself. I'm the biggest person in the video, so it's easy to spot who I am. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably, that's probably true quite often. I mean, if you're working yeah. with other climbers and runners and stuff, you're, yeah. you're a big, strong, strapping man. Yeah. How tall are you? Uh, six, three, two forty. Yeah, I know. We talked about doing the interview in the van. I was like, that might not be very comfortable. No, right, for yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to lay down on the bed. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, yeah, I agree. And you know, I quite honestly working on people that are my size, even for me is, is hard to do. So these guys that work on NFL players all the time and stuff, yeah. man, hats off to them. Yeah. I don't want to work on 350 pound linemen. That is brutal. Well, what, <laughs> I can't what even is, imagine. What's amazing is that, I mean, your hands, you, you basically shaking your hand. It feels like I'm at the mechanic. Right. And I don't know that you'd be able to work on my forearms if you weren't like right. that. So yeah, that's, um, but it happens anyway. I mean, there's some women that are doing this stuff that are hundred pounds and they're doing ART and they're getting results too. Oh, cool. And they're strong, but yeah. you know, you can, you can work your way around things, but they also have smaller fingers that are a little more precise too. Mm. <laughs> so it's maybe a little more pokey and they can get in there and do good work too. So yeah. I wouldn't say you just have to find a big person to do it. Okay. Yeah. There's a lot of very good providers out there. Oh, cool. Yeah. Uh, you've talked to me in the past about how sometimes you need work done because you're working mm-hmm. with your hands all day. You're basically doing physical labor all day. Yeah. Does it beat you up? Yes. <laughs> what do you do for treatment? Uh, well, I stretch a lot during the day for okay. one. Uh, I haven't had a lot of uh, aches and pains in probably probably about a year or so. Um, is it mostly grip related and totally. Okay. Yeah. Because so much of what I do is grip. <laughs> Sorry, climbers. It's hard for me to rock climb. I want, yeah. I would love to do it. I can go to play around at the gym some, but because I'm so hands-on and grip strength all day long already that adding in a whole bunch more load of that usually leads to no matter 
whether I'm stretching or not, I usually wind up getting hurt and do it. Sure. It's just, it's just, I'm already doing it most of the day Yeah. and then have it be my, my recreation is really rough too. Yeah. Although it's so fun and it's so, You've tried it? Yeah, oh, totally. It's I so forgot hard. That. Oh yeah. You guys are tough. <laughs> <laughs> and then you got heights involved. You got all that. Is I that mean, about, I appreciate it. You don't like it. heights? No, it's not that I don't like heights. I just, I think the challenge is getting over your own mind on it hmm. and getting to a place where as a, as say a beginner going into it, it's okay that if you're up there, if you're on a rope, you're going to be fine. And you hit that point where you're just maxed out and that's kind of where you got to stop. Mm -hmm. But people figuring out where that max point is, is a challenge, mm. right? Cause if you haven't been that experienced, sure. you know your body and know what it feels like to go, Oh, I got a little more left versus, Oh, I actually do have a lot more than I thought. So that's always a process for, I think any sport. Yeah. But yeah, definitely. You guys are brave. I appreciate what you do. <laughs> so one thing that's, that you just made me think of something. One thing that's interesting about rock climbers is that our grip and our forearms are so often the limiting factor. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, seeing other athletes and how much they vary their training load throughout a cycle, they don't just go balls out, you know, to the point where they're failing every single session. Right. No, no other sport does that. But with climbers, we pretty often go to the point of muscular failure in our forearms, that local failure, mm -hmm. just about every time we go rock climbing. Um, do you have any thoughts on that? Again, it's, does it's, it seem like a really bad idea? <laughs> yeah. Really? Yeah. I think, I think if you push yourself, I mean, it's okay to push yourself because we all need the mental challenge. Yeah. We need the physical challenge. Yeah. It's good to push yourself, but it's also, you can do that only so much before things start to go wrong hmm. right again it gets back to like load versus capacity like you got a certain amount of load that muscle and forearm can take you max it out at 100 percent. that's your capacity you're done at that point yeah you got so much pump you're not really hanging on or you get so much fatigue you're not really able to do it well that's good to bounce off that ceiling some but then you better have a rest interval afterwards it's pretty solid with a whole bunch of stretching and trying to get things to unwind again because hmm. if you contract and contract and contract and contract you're winding up and winding up and winding up and you're getting less blood flow and you get pump right yeah so it's more than just stretching your forearms out you need to be pulling your arms behind you you need to be you know doing things to try to open up everything else that's in that chain not just only forearm stretches shall mm -hmm. we say rest is the piece that is often overlooked in training as, Oh, I can well, take it to any event, right? Whether it's climbing or biking or running, you really shouldn't necessarily do it every single day. I mean, it's, it's, it, you need to have a rest cycle in there, not just sleep at night. Yeah. Taking a day off here and there is what really helps a lot of people. Um, and tricking yourself in the psychology of that because people just will go and go and go and go. Yeah. Right? I see that. a lot of climbers, especially at Smith, where they don't necessarily climb every day, but then mm -hmm. every day that they do climb, let's say it's four or five days a week, mm -hmm. they have a very similar looking session every single time. Right. They do the same warm ups, and then they try something hard enough that they're getting to that muscular failure in their forearms every single time they're going climbing mm -hmm. in a really similar pattern. Do you think, I mean, it seems like it might make sense to just intentionally build more variety mm -hmm. into your week and have days where you stick to easier climbs and do more mileage and avoid that limit level effort and then have days where it's really short, higher intensity, more focused work. Yeah, absolutely. It's, okay. it's like whether you're for me, um, and not to, that's my point of reference because I'm a cyclist, right? Yeah. I have days where I get on the road bike because it's a constant effort of putting 
power to the pedals on a mm. road bike versus a mountain bike is it constantly intervals. You're pedaling up something and you're rolling down the other side and you're pedaling up the next thing and you're rolling down the other side. You might have a long sustained climb in some place, um, but you're doing so much more interval work. So doing interval work on, uh, even on the road bike too sometimes, but I do interval work really when I'm mountain biking and I consider my endurance and my real long-term power build is on a road bike of getting distance on a road bike. So mm-hmm. if you've got something that you can do that's, that's, uh, what would you do for interval base? Now bounce that one off of you. What would you do? You just use that. Probably a bouldering session. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You know, probably just mix in more days where you're doing a really hard, short effort, but you're not getting that maximal pump where you're just flamed out in your muscles. You know? Yeah. You're just getting lowered down by the rope at the end. Yeah. <laughs> you can't really, you don't have much left. Yeah. Versus, yeah. I mean, when you talk about road cycling, I think of, you know, for me, that would be a day where I go out and just climb a bunch of five elevens that I'm really familiar with. And right. I can just do laps and laps and laps and have right. like a nice gentle pump going the whole time and work on climbing well and work on good technique, but, but stay pretty far away from that limit where I'm really pushing things. Yeah. I think that's smart. You got to have variability in all your workouts. I mean, it's just important. Otherwise you wind up messed up from doing the same thing, you know, I think that's what I did just climbing. Yeah. So I think I had climbed for five or six years before I moved to Smith and I never had any symptoms around carpal tunnel. And it was within three or four or five months of being here. And at the time I was working four tens and I had Friday, Saturday, Sunday off Mm -hmm. and I would just go spend the whole three day weekend at Smith and just climb a ton. And that's a much more grip dominant climbing area than I'd been to before. And it's all sport climbing. So you're under, you're on really small holds pulling really hard. You are experiencing these long static contractions because the pace is also really slow. And I think that's what got me. I was just having a very similar style of session just about every time I went out and, um, it didn't take very long for that to be too much. Yeah, for sure. I mean, if I moved to Moab and I was riding there all the time, I would be messed up inside of five or six months too. Why is that? Just because it would be such a different thing than I was used to doing. Just mountain biking all the time. Yeah. And having such intense short pitches on Mm. sandstone and things and just different variety. Right. So it's the same kind of, it's the exact same thing. You just took it from a, where you're at and what you're used to, you added a whole huge different component to it, Mm. a little, little old and really intense and that type of thing. It's just a change in what you were doing. So yeah, if I mean to, to stave that off, I mean, how could you not want to be climbing at Smith all the time? Right. Right. It's beautiful. It's got amazing routes everywhere, but only doing that is going to lead to eventually having problems if you're doing it too much. Yeah. So, well, I think there's also a way to do it that has that variety built in. Yeah. That's right. Been Mm -hmm. more intentional about having, okay, today I'm just going to focus on climbing this really hard thing. And I'm going to have a lot of rest in between my tries and my tries are going to be really brief and intense. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, the day after that I do the volume type session that I was talking about where I keep the intensity lower. It's a way better way on approaching it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think basically every, every chronic injury and every issue I've gotten into is doing too much of the same stuff too often. Me too. Really? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Even riding a bike too much. What are it's postural, right? Yeah. What are some of the issues that you've seen with that? Uh, you know, I would say shoulders and people, um, let's say the non-crashing injuries, let's call them that Yeah. (laughs) because crashing happens, but uh, (laughs) like everywhere, I would say low backs, hips that are just way, way too tight. Hmm. Your body's segmented up in an interesting way, right? You've got mobility in the foot and ankle and you've got stability in the knee and you have mobility in the hip and you have stability in the lumbar spine and 
portion of the thoracic is mobile and a portion is pretty stable and then cervical is mobile again. Hmm. So anytime you get one of those things in a cyclist or anybody, if your hips are really tight and they're not rotating and moving well, the next level below and the next level above are going to start to move more. Mm-hmm. Cause you know, they, they have to, because they there's, yeah, they have to compensate. So you wind up a stable joint moving too much that it doesn't want to do. Mm. And then you wind up with pain from that. So it's not necessarily, you know, like I was saying, somebody comes in with a pain in their knee or their low back, you got to look in the middle to see what's going on with the big movers there and it address that. So I see a lot of hip problems, low backs, shoulders, neck stuff, of course, from the riding posture and pulling your head back. Even me. I mean, yeah. if I look at my x-rays in my spine right now and see five and six or nine not awesome from riding. So most of my extension and things that happens in my C spine is happening at between five, four, three, two, right above. Mm. So I really should have more mobility in my own neck, but it's not there because <laughs> I rode a bike since I was nine or eight or is that something that, that you're actively working on? It is right now. Yeah. So I'm trying to mobilize, um, my mid back more. So my cervical spine isn't pushed so far forward. So I'm trying oh, okay. to get things to open in that area to just kind of pull things back and stave off any future real aches and pains that are, you know, you're getting older. Yeah. Things happen. I'm 51. So yeah, it's always just a challenge as we go forward mm-hmm. to keep things lined up and moving right. I appreciate that you are taking action on it though and advocate taking action with your clients though. Cause it drives me crazy when someone has this and you see it so much where people have this fatalistic approach. Like I'm just getting old. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. Do you work with, um, I'm dying now, you know, do you, <laughs> do you work with like the whole range of age groups? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I mean, I have little kids that are doing gymnastics mm. to, to uh, a lady that's, she's just over 90 years old and is a canasta player. Oh, and she'll a play, canasta player? Yeah, it's a card game. Okay. And she'll play too much canasta. And her neck and upper back and stuff start getting tight because she's sitting at this table playing cards for so long. (laughs) She's just she's overdoing it. She's climbing too much, you know. That's so funny. (laughs) What it is, but it's 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 a really fun thing because I see people from every single walk of life, and it's a fascinating job in that respect. Cool. Yeah. And on your website, I saw you've worked with triathletes, golfers, rock climbers, road and, and mountain bikers of all levels. You've worked with Olympic athletes. Yeah. Are there any uh, athletes that you've worked on that are the most interesting cases or have been the most gratifying or any, does anything like that come to mind? Well, everybody's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> we're all, we're all, we're all carrying around our bag of interesting, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, I'm laughing because you have a lot of stories when I come to see you. Yeah. You know, and you know, nothing no, you shouldn't be sharing. No, no, no names always, are exchanged, it's always but there's always some good stuff. Um, well, I mean, all my athletes, it's fun for me for the athletes. I mean, they're all, everybody's interesting and fun to work with for the most part, but the people that are out there really trying to get a paycheck, you know, whether they're you know, jumping their bodies through space on a bike at Red Bull Rampage, or they're going to race some World Cup somewhere, or they're doing an Ironman, or they're doing a, an Xterra World Championship, or whatever. There's a small part of ownership I have in that, hmm. where yeah, they're coming to me, but I'm kind of being the race car mechanic that tunes them up so they can actually go get the prize. Oh, that's cool. So it feels like I, you know, even though. I'm not there at the race every time. I know that I helped them get to that level. And it's not that they wouldn't have got there without me, but they sure were 
slowing it down with whatever was holding them back that I helped get rid of that problem, helped tune them up a little bit so they could go do that. So I feel anytime anybody wins a marathon or does well in a marathon or finishes a marathon in five hours, you know, even it feels good to know that I helped them get there Hmm. through them having the wherewithal to come in to see me to help get them get there. Yeah. So it's a rewarding thing from that standpoint, which is really fun. And it's rewarding me even working the old lady with a canasta and stuff because I know if I help her, then she's out playing the game and enjoying her friends and do what she likes. Cool. Yeah. So one thing that was really cool coming to you is that there's, I didn't have to deal with any bullshit. I didn't have to get a referral from the doctor. I didn't have to worry about insurance. I just pay you some money and you do great work. Um, a lot of people are going to be hearing this and probably won't have access to you. Do you have any advice as far as finding a good practitioner? There is a website for active release. Okay. Activerelease.com, you know, okay. and you click on a little, there's a little button on the homepage that says find a provider. Yeah. I would say steer towards the providers that are not only close to you, if possible. Uh, there's a lot of us, but we're not everywhere. Uh, look for the person who has the most certifications and then really go to their website and see if what they're doing matches up with what you want. Okay. Uh, um, just to see if it is the right fit for you. And worst case scenario, you know, call me, <laughs> you know, yeah. can send me an email if you want, because I know people all over the country, primarily West coast, more than East coast. Cause I teach West coast courses, but there's so many good providers hmm. and, um, well-trained and we're all pretty similar cause we're all trained in the same way. It's almost like a martial art in a way, you know, it's all protocol and mm-hmm. like learning this to do that. And it's duplicatable in different places, okay, which is nice. I really was drawn to you, I think, because I could tell you were an athlete and you'd worked with so many athletes. Right. How common is that among ART practitioners? Very, very common. Okay. Yep. Yeah. We see a lot of people that are out there pushing it and trying to, to live life. Mm-hmm. You know, we're trying to enable your lifestyle. That's really what we're trying to do. Yeah. Yeah. Is keep you in the game, not take you out of it. So, uh, many, I told you to stop climbing because <laughs> you needed to, yeah, but, yeah. uh, but it was, was I needed to hear that you did. I did. Yeah. yeah and like it's, it's injured, hard to dude. say. Yeah. But at the stop same time, slamming your, you injured your hand by slamming your finger in the door. Stop slamming your finger in the goddamn door. Exactly. Right. <laughs> and it's, yeah. and, and waking up to that fact is really a challenge for a lot of people. They're like, cause they, they use their exercise as a way to psychologically decompress. Right. Mm-hmm. So there's stress in life and then there's you stress and you stress is the good stuff. That's you going and, you know, doing something that's really hard for you to do and using your brain and your body to do it. And there's stress, which is just driving around and listening to the radio and being on your phone and, you know, working and chores and everything else. So we got to have the other side of the stress equation Mm -hmm. and people, when they don't have another way to deal with it, it, it messes them up. So even like I would advise people that if they're, if you're already injured and you can't climb right now, still go out and go to the places where you would climb or get out in nature and do it and be outside some, because just being outdoors is good medicine, right? Yeah. Being in the places you enjoy is good medicine. Even if you can't truly participate right now, you still are going to enjoy being there. You're mm-hmm. st- it's going to be cleansing for your head, even if you can't participate right now. Yeah. So don't stop doing something, but get out in it. Go just sit at your home friends. and binge watch some terrible show on TV for 10 episodes. Go out and do stuff still. Right. Yeah. Or you'll just sink deeper into, I'm in a funk. Mm. Yeah. That's not fun. Cool. Stay outside. Stay outside, kids. <laughs> so I, uh, I have a few tools that I bought. I'm going to be on the road here and I'm not going to have access to you for a while. Right. I truly think that I needed to come to you and, and kind of get over a hump to the point where hopefully now I'll be able to manage this thing with just some self-care tools. But I brought in a few 
I'm curious to see what your thoughts are on these as far as like if someone, if a climber has tight forearms or another issue, you know, what kind of tools you might recommend, but I sure. brought in an arm aid mm-hmm. and I think most climbers will be familiar with that, but I'll, I'll link to it in the show notes. The Theracane or Theracane Max is mm-hmm. one that I have, which is just basically a travel Theracane. That thing's great. I use that one on my neck and, um, I brought in the wave tool too, which is like a scraper massage tool. So yeah. What, what, what was your impression of those tools and what do you think might help people if they're kind of trying to self-treat? Well, if you've already seen somebody, you kind of got an idea of what's going on. All that's going to be great, right? Yeah. I think those are really great tools. Knowing how to apply scraping tools, you want to at least watch some videos on that. Uh, always going to the direction of the heart, not digging a hole that's so deep that you bruise the crud out of yourself. Mm. Um, but fascinating. Let's talk, always scrape towards the heart. Yeah, it's better to not just go back and forth, back and forth, but yep. scrape in the direction of, of venous flow, which yep. is blood return to the heart. Because if you start scraping the opposite direction down, you've got one-way valves in the veins. And you don't want to build a bunch of back pressure up and blow the valves the opposite direction. You wind up getting varicose vein type things or less positive circulation. You'll probably actually even add more arm pump. <laughs> hmm. So it's good to go in the direction of the heart when you're scraping. So scrape up the line of the tissue, pick up, set down, and then do it again. Not just back and forth, back and forth. And I find that's true with any of the rolling devices as well, is that people just go back and forth, back and forth with them. Well, it's not necessarily the best thing to do, right? So you really kind of have to be a little cautious with how much pressure you're really applying if you're doing it and make sure that, you know, you're not just crushing yourself Mm -hmm. (laughs) because people overtreat all the time. Okay. They go too big. So as you're building into any new tool, that you're bringing in to help yourself. Make sure you do small dosages and work your way up in your dosage, shall we say, till you figure out where you're at and what actually is working for you. Because I guarantee you, when you bring in new tools, you're going to overdo it. It's just part of it. You kind of got to hit that threshold and find out where you're at. Sure. Yeah. So all of them are good. The thing I would add to that, I have a tool I use in my practice called a, a deep muscle stimulator. And it, it sounds like it's some sort of electronics thing, but it's, it's actually percussive vibration. Okay. Oh yeah. So these are getting more popular. It's basically very, like a, it looks like a pistol with a little rubber massage tool on the end of it. And then you just yep. machine gun your, your muscles. Right. Yeah. It's like a little piston just boom, bumps off the skin. Do you have a brand that you, use or that you recommend? Well, deep muscle simulator is great, but they're way too much money for people to buy for home use. Okay. Uh, Like almost $3,000. I just, for the fun of it, saw, you know, these Chinese knockoff brands that are out there these days. And I'm not, you know, saying proponent of you got to buy everything as a Chinese knockoff, but the, uh, the one I bought was $109 shipped to my house. And I compared it against the deep muscle stimulator that I have in practice. And at one below its highest setting, it was every bit as effective as the almost $3,000 tool Wow! for home use. And really, when you think about it, even if it lasted me four or five months and then died, I'd be better off buying those at 110 bucks <laughs> than ever spending $3,000 right. on, on this tool that I was so, I mean, it's different because it's a, it's cordless. It, you know, it's going to probably last four or five hours of runtime maximum. And the one that plugs into the wall that I use in my practice, of course, is industrial, right? It's made for commercial mm. use, but that is a wonderful tool to bring in. Uh, I don't have a specific one to get, but it's okay to spend just, you know, a little over a hundred bucks on something like that is a really good idea to have as uh, a warm up prior to climbing. You okay. Know, vibrating muscles before you climb is a great way to do it. Huh. Getting something like that in the quiver too is really good. Okay. You know, for your neck, for your shoulders, for your forearms, all that stuff. Cause it really just kicks up circulation. And if it's an area that's sore, all the vibration almost numbs it out a little bit too. Right. So it's a good tool to have in the kit. 
The one you found, is that just something you found on Amazon or something? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I just looked around and I found the one that looked like it was Amazon you know, choice. Uh, yeah. It wasn't even Amazon choice. You know, it was like, it was <laughs> yeah. like one of those ones that there's ones that are obviously look like they're junk okay. and there's ones that look a little more refined and like they've doing a better job with what they're presenting to you. And I thought that was a, that's a valuable ad. Okay. Yeah. Maybe I'll find one and vet it with you too. Yeah, let's and, see if I can find that link for link that one to I that. got. Yeah. Okay. It was, it was worth 110 bucks. Perfect. Oh yeah. Okay. I think it came down 10 bucks since then. <laughs> so, <laughs> awesome. So there you go. All right. <laughs> yeah. So you talked about working with athletes and how you get to be a part of that a little bit and, and you get some ownership over their achievements. I know that you're an athlete as well. You consider yourself an athlete in road and mountain biking and hiking and Nordic skiing. Maybe where are you at now with your athletics and how much of a performance element has there been to your athletic career? I mean, like as races and things like that, that type of performance. Yeah. Or, or just like how interested and focused have you been on like optimizing your performance and improving and pushing yourself and that sort of stuff. I think that came later. Okay. Right? The beauty of youth is you can hammer your brains out and usually you're fine. <laughs> you just need a nap. Okay. At 50, things change. Uh, not horribly. I mean, I'm very, very grateful to be here right now and doing what I do. But you definitely start realizing, oh, okay, I'm up against up against the process of some aging and mm -hmm. um, keeping myself at a better level because of that, you know, and doing what I can to keep my nutrition right and my training right so I can still go and do the things I want to. I'm not as fast as I used to be, yeah. but I don't expect to be either. And I'm not bummed out about it because I'm yeah. just happy to be out there doing it. Did you compete growing up or do you do that now at all? Uh, I was racing BMX in like 78, 79 80. And that's when I was really competitive with all that stuff back in like the golden eight, the golden days of BMX. And that really got me into a love of, of bikes. Um, yeah, they're great. It was just a lot of fun, but it seems like biking is your main thing, right? I mean, it you, is, you, yeah. you mentioned hiking, Nordic skiing, but every time I come to your office, you're talking about biking. Yeah. I'm a nerd. What do you want? Yeah. That's no, great. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, but it's, it's what I love. It's my freedom machine. You know, I love flying through the woods on it or being out in the middle of nowhere. It's cool. Really cool. Yeah. So you competed with BMX. Did yeah, but ever... I never did much with mountain biking okay. uh, because really honest to God, you know, I am a big guy. And in my, um, my thirties, late twenties and early thirties, I was doing some mountain bike racing and I realized that if I raced in say sport class, so it goes beginner sport expert and expert pro. And if I was racing sport class, the guys I was racing against were 150 pounds and 150 pounds goes uphill faster than 225 pounds mm -hmm. or 230, 40. Right? Yeah. And rock climbers understand that really yeah, well. Yeah. Power weight ratio, right? Fighting so it's like, gravity. Yeah, exactly. Gravity is a law I can live with. Right. But it's, <laughs> it's a tough one. Um, but I, I could, I could catch up on the downhills, but they could drop me so much on the uphills that even if I caught a few people on the downhill, by the time you get the second lap in or the third lap in, I'm not even going to be on a podium. Mm. So then I started, I was like, okay, well, they came out with a, what's called the Clydesdale class. So it was over 200 and something pounds, over 200 Clydesdale pounds Clydesdale class, that's great. I know, they've got those things. And it's like, okay, I'll race in that. Yeah. The first race I did in that, I was the only guy in the class. <laughs> so I could have just thrown out and taken a nap taking my time and finish the race. <laughs> <laughs> I still won prizes and everything. Really? I was like, Oh, it's kind of, it sucks. Great. Okay. So the next couple of races, it started to get a little more competitive, but barely, you know, I'm showing up in a full team kit on a pro level bike and I've got, 
you know, Bob next to me in denim shorts on a rigid bike that, you mm. know, it's like, oh my God, I shouldn't even be racing these guys. Yeah. And it you're a big guy, seem, but, seem right. but you look like an athlete where I'm guessing well, a lot of these other 200 plus guys, <laughs> they didn't, they don't. Yeah. So right. I kind of felt like, oh, <laughs> the guy in the formula one car at the, at the demolition derby, you know, it was like, it was like, it felt mm. bad. No, that's not that. That's, that's, too, <laughs> that's too big of an ex- exaggeration, but you know what I mean? It just, sure. felt, it felt like I should not race these guys. Cause it's just really not right. Yeah. So sort of like, I shouldn't race the guys who weigh 150 pounds. Cause that's not right for me either. Right. So I was like, you know, all this time and effort I'm putting into racing sure would be better off spent riding way out in Mount hood in the wilderness or up here and not you know, in the wilderness, but out into the trails around Mount hood can't mm-hmm. ride in the wilderness. Um, you know, just getting into those places where it was more of a wilderness like experience was way more of a payback for me mm. and way more of a positive experience. Cause racing is stress <laughs> and not necessarily you stress, but stress. And I just enjoyed not training for racing, but training to go and ride further and deeper into the woods. Mm. So I got away from racing. Did you ever participate in triathlons or Ironmans or anything like that? I did do my one experience with a triathlon was I did, I've done other things where I've done bike related things. Like we have a pole pedal paddle race here yeah. and everybody loves me to do the bike because it's mostly downhill and big guys go downhill fast. So I've done that a couple of times and that's been fun. But, uh, my one, one triathlon I did where I had, I was on a team and we were, we were crushing it. We were doing really good until we got to the, I pass off to the guy that's doing the finish run and he was running and the girl in front of him, he was really attracted to what he was watching run in front of him. <laughs> so he hung out to look at that during his run leg <laughs> instead of hammering it in for the finish. Uh-huh. And we, we lost first place by like three tenths of a second. Cause the next guy finally caught up and clipped him at the line. Cause he wanted to look at this girl. I'm like, you know, I'm not doing team stuff anymore. <laughs> I think, I think I'm allergic to numbers. So I'm not putting them on anymore. So I gave up on the whole idea. You know, I, I think it's great. And I think it's wonderful that people enjoy it, but I'm more the guy that enjoys to go out in the woods or go out into the middle of nowhere and just enjoy the space. Cool. Yep. So you've talked about the last few times I've been in here, you've talked about how you can't do this forever, how this is um, hard physical labor and it's hard work and you care about what you do and, and that shows. And it almost seems like you'll have a hard time pulling away from it and not doing it, but you've, mm-hmm. you've got some cool ideas. You've talked about transitioning towards owning a business and setting yourself up for something that maybe is more sustainable. Right. What does that look like? Well, when you realize that, you know, what you're doing every day is, is basically, you know, I'm not making money unless I'm working and I'm hands on. Mm-hmm. So downtime sounds nice until it's, uh, there's a little too much downtime <laughs> or you go on vacation. If I take a week off, I'm losing all that income for a week. And that's like writing an additional $2,000 check to the vacation mm-hmm. because I didn't show up to work for a week. Right. Yeah. So it's challenging too. So the idea of starting a, a business where I have other people working for me and potentially doing body work, but more than not um, than anything else I'm looking at, I'm thinking more of getting into laser therapy because it's, it's an up and coming thing. It's been around for a long time, but the lasers are now getting small enough, portable enough and high power enough that they really are creating big change in less time. Previously using laser therapy, it would be, you know, a 30 minute session and now it's down to five. Mm -hmm. So for the same price, then really, truly the same or better results. Uh, so I'm thinking of getting more into doing a laser therapy clinic, uh, where we bring in a medical director and we, we, um, have a doctor that someone sees initially and writes, you know, they need this many sessions, this many sessions. 
And that way we can do all the treatment and, uh, I can have my wife doing it. I can hire people to do it. I can do it. And it takes my hands and thumbs out of the work. Some hmm. I'll never really stop doing what I'm doing. You know, okay. I'll, I'll probably cut back on what I'm doing and either have somebody else doing it or, um, we'll get more into doing the laser therapy and that'll turn into something that grows. Then time when I retire, I actually have something to sell hmm. <laughs> rather than if you just have a practice and you're in private practice, it's not the same. Something to sell, meaning the business, the business. Yeah. And the model and the, and the location and the equipment and everything. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. yeah. Cause that's more of a saleable thing than, than just my, Oh, I've worked on these people. Well, they're coming to me because it's me they're yeah. not coming to me because I have a laser. There's plenty of places that have lasers in, uh, in bend in, in the country, but you really need, you need that person gives a darn and does what they want. It does what you need done. Uh, but to change it over to lasers. I mean, that's just a natural progression. I mean, it really does reinforce what I do because if somebody's already sore and they come in and I'm treating them, if I can use a laser on it after the fact, it gets the inflammation to drop. It gets the ache to drop. It just really speeds up the whole healing process. It's cool stuff. I, I'd say anybody out there that's having any issues that are, that are having tendonitis and thing, don't just find a guy that does what I do. Try to find someone that can do laser therapy on it as well. What would someone search for? Uh, well, it's called cold laser therapy quite often or photobiomodulation if you want to go there, but a lot of chiropractors have it, uh, okay. PT clinics would have it too. It doesn't usually get covered by, by insurance. It does uh, not. Usually. No, okay. but, and it shouldn't be very, very expensive either. You got to keep that in mind, um, to see me for one area to be treated with laser is, is 35 bucks mm. versus, you know, you go to a big city and maybe way more, <laughs> but it shouldn't take that long to get done. It takes a series of six to 12 visits to really get a nice benefit out of it. But if you can find somebody like me that's doing it as well, that would be great. Mm. Nobody's popping the top of my head, but um, yeah, it's, it's a good combo. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've, I've uh, had a chance to play with it. I've got to be your guinea pig a little bit. That's right. Use cold laser on my elbow tendonitis. And um, I mean, the idea, it's a connective tissue issue, so there's not a lot of vasculature and blood flow. So you're helping stimulate that in that area and get more blood flow to the area. That's exactly right. Okay. I mean, really in, in the grand scheme of things, it's drastically increasing the circulation in those areas and not just from a vascular side, it's really cellular as well. Um, you have these chromophores in your, in your cells, right? The mitochondria in the cell and those guys absorb the light energy from the laser and just ramp up to maximum output. Hmm. And so producing more ATP, produces nitrous oxide, gets everything, uh, all the vasodilation to happen. And it really just helps flood the whole area with oxygen and get everything running fast. And that just gets it to heal faster more than anything. Cool. It's like creates an optimal environment. And I should touch on one thing. Cold laser is a name. It, the difference between cold laser and hot laser is hot laser is really getting more into cutting and doing surgical procedures, okay. right? Yeah these lasers aren't putting out cold energy. It's photons. It's warm, right? You felt warming from yeah. it, not cold. It definitely feels warm, but so, it's also not cutting my arm off. No, like thankfully a, like yeah. a lightsaber. Or <laughs> Bad, right? <laughs> uh, solve the problem kind of, uh, but you, you look at it and you think well, that wasn't cold. Why would they call it cold? Well, it's not cold. It's literally warm. It's a warm sensation. It feels good. People tend to love it, not think, oh, well, that was terrible, or I got burned, or any of that stuff. It feels good. Yeah, I enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, but they're contrasting the name against like a laser cutting right. sort of thing. Yeah, hot versus cold. Gotcha. It should really be named something else. It's really just light therapy, really, at the end, right? Okay. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> uh, is there any advice you'd have for yourself when you first got into ART? Oh, wow. 
trying to feel like it did it right. Uh, that's great. Yeah. I feel, mean, feel like if it, your answer is right. no, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. It, it kind of feels like it went right. Cool. I wish I would have come into it sooner. Okay. You know, I think that's really what it comes down to. If I could go back in time though, I think what I would do is I would have finished up college and then gone right into chiropractic school Mm. and then brought this in at that same time. Okay. I think that the combination is really powerful. Mm. I think chiropractic would have been fun to throw into the mix. Um, just simply because it's so effective. So you went down the construction road Mm -hmm. instead, at least initially, how long did you do that? Uh, gosh, I did about seven years. I purchased a franchise called Serta Pro Painters. Okay. It's, they're based out of uh, Philadelphia area. And it was something my dad and I did together in mm. order to have something that was more like a family business idea. And he didn't want to be totally retired. And I was trying to figure out really what I was going to do. And it really turned into being a, um, uh, it was a process, you know, the painting industry is a rough industry. Mm. Um, we trained a lot of the good painters in town. How about that? <laughs> they wound up, you know, coming to work for us, learning our system, stealing the concept, going out and using it elsewhere. So after a while, my dad was getting older. We were like, yeah, we're just going to stop doing this. It's not fun. And the management of the people was really rough. And it's like you're painting a lady's fingernails every day. You know, they're inspecting the job super heavy. And, you know, we had lots of, lots of very satisfied customers. But at the same time, I was just so burnt out on that concept of things. And mm. I, and when I was in high school and go back further than that, when I was in high school, I was detailing cars and I made tons of money detailing cars and I like the detail oriented work. So that kind of just parlayed into me doing something, going to college finally, but I, I don't know. I always have an eye for detail. So I did a lot of quality control with the business and making sure things were done right for people, but there's always people you can never satisfy. And, um, I wanted to help people more than I wanted to just paint houses. I felt like it was, I don't know, just wasn't that satisfying. Hmm. Not re- that rewarding. Gotcha. I feel a lot more rewarding what I do now. So then you remembered back to um, that family life that you had, mm-hmm. you know, helping each other out, giving yep. each other massage, and that's that's what led you down the massage path. Yeah, that and and my uncle was an osteopath, really brilliant guy, one of the early osteopaths in the U.S. And he did all kinds of cranial manipulation and all this stuff. And every year at our family get-togethers, he would work on everybody. And I was so always so amazed by his skill and what he knew and how he could apply it, and really helped everybody in the family, you know, you'd leave after being around my uncle Spencer and it was just like, holy cow, this guy's so great. I really appreciated that about him and, and really respected and looked up to him for it. And when the opportunity came up to say, geez, you know, maybe I could go down that path hmm. and got, was done with the painting thing, was trying to figure out what's next and went into the massage thing because of it. And I mean, I'm going to credit him for that quite a bit too. Oh, cool. Yeah. Because it was such a, it's not that he was there to be a mentor for it because he's in Boston and I'm in Oregon, mm-hmm. but, um, we definitely talked a lot and learning from him things that I wouldn't have gotten in school ever, uh, was really cool. So mm. it was a nice, a nice way to, to blossom into what I'm doing now. And sometimes you just need to see an example of how it can turn out Yep. to even get started down the path. Yep. He had a great life. He, he traveled a lot. He did a lot of great things, knew so many cool people from, and I, I do too. I know you, right? So I've met a lot of great people in my years of being in practice that, um, those relationships carry on outside of practice even, Mm -hmm. um, which is really nice. So I I love it. I just love what I do. It makes it easy to go to work. It doesn't feel like I'm going to do work. It makes me feel like I'm going to help people. So it's different. That's awesome. Yeah. I love it. (laughs) Obviously. Uh, is there any new belief or habit that has changed your life most in the last few years? Looking at the body in a different way, 
than just the parts, right? I mean, mm. you know, like arm, forearm, wrist, fingers. Looking at how all the systems work together and knowing that there's also a massive psychological piece to all of it. There's people that I've worked on that come in with lots of neck pain and headaches and things like that. And I could be doing battle to make those things go away for them, but then there's constantly recurring and it kind of comes down to, well, is your pain really from this? Or is there something deeper going on for you? Hmm. And I have referred out several times now to different therapists around town for people to talk to because things come out that you, you don't even expect. And I had, here's, here's an example one. I had a lady that had a lot of neck pain and she was, um, I mean, she's like, Oh, and it's got neck pain. It's hurting and stuff. And this is probably the second time I'm working on her. She's laying on her back on the table. I'm cradling her head and working her neck. And there's one particularly tight spot that I'm working on. And all of a sudden it was like, there was a pressure drop in the room. Uh, just a weird, like, Whoa, you know, like that something happens in a crowd and you get that weird feeling where everybody goes, Whoa, like that. Mm. I felt that in the room with her and I set her head down and just let go. And I'm like, are you okay? What is up? You know, that was really an intense moment. She started crying and she's like a number of years ago, I had an auto accident where I lost both my children and, um, I just remembered it. She wow. hadn't remembered it. She had had the injury, woke up without remembering what happened prior to it. And she remembered all of it on my table that day, oh just from pressing gosh. on a spot in her neck and doing, it must've been sort of like a smell would recreate a thought or memory from your childhood. Like there's a, yeah. a f flowers in your yard growing up to where it's always the air, the fl smell of the flowers wafting around, right? And you smell them, boom, your brain goes there. Must've been something in how I was treating her neck that made a trigger happen that took her back to remembering what she was talking to her kids about, all that stuff. So she's crying, now I'm crying. You know, it's an intense moment. Uh, and those kind of things do happen. And not to that extent often, because that would probably blow my mind too much. <laughs> I, need, I need a therapist. Uh, <laughs> although we should all have a therapist, I think. <laughs> Seriously. Um, it's one of those things where it, it, it just takes it to a different level. It takes it in a different direction sometimes you don't expect. And mm. a lot of people hold a lot of tension in their abdomen from breathing poorly, uh, fast and rapid breathing. And just the, having tension around here can make your anxiety go to the roof because mm. you're not breathing right. There's a lot of different ways to look at it. But the psychological component, I think, is probably one of the big pieces that's come out in the last few years in my practice is really seeing that. People go and talk to someone, they get therapy and then their pain in their body stops, hmm. not because of just the therapy for me, but because they got out whatever they were holding onto that was causing them to have so much err and yeah. angst in their life. Wow. Yeah. It's cool, huh? So the body, body responds. It does. Yeah. So that's something that you weren't necessarily taught in ART no. and you've just kind of observed it time and time again in yeah. practice. Yeah. It's just, it's a, it's a big piece. It wow. plays together there's a big link between brain and gut and body and pain and all of it. That's why you hear these naturopaths and doctors talking about how nutrition is so paramountly key because if your if your gut is off, your brain could be off from it. Your physical manifestation of feelings and everything else can be going on. And I don't do that stuff in my practice, Yeah, but it's really spot on. It does matter. It does matter with illness and stress and People need are way too dehydrated in modern life too. And mm. all that stuff 
the more stress your body's under, whether it's dehydration or emotional or um, mental, physical stuff like that, it, it is all stress, right? So anytime you can pour a glass of water on that and make a fire go out, that's a good thing. Hmm. Yeah. That's so interesting because I really, I've been paying a lot of attention to this injury and to my own body. And I really think I've seen a correlation between certain foods and my symptoms getting worse. I don't Mm -hmm. think it's by any means a singular cause, but I do think it's a contributing factor. So for example, it seems that if I have dairy, my carpal tunnel symptoms get flared up. Um, I just feel some other aches and and stuff in my joints. I just feel generally a little bit more stiff and inflamed. Yeah. Is that something you've seen in other patients and in your practice? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm I'm not advising people on stuff like that, but yeah, definitely. I think, uh, I, I think just to know that there might be a connection there, like most people just aren't even thinking about that. It's one of the most common things we put in our system. Yeah. There's dairy, you know, other than everything else, just but nutrition in general. Yeah. And you know, I, I, I don't, I don't think, I don't know why we would drink a cow's milk. I don't get it. I don't want to drink orangutan milk or horse milk or, you know, any other stuff. Uh, it doesn't kind of make sense. I'm not a baby. I'm not a cow baby. It is uh, weird. It is. It really is. Weird. It's, it's just, it's just what it is. It's, it's the industry. Right. Mm. And, you know, milk does the body good, you know, uh, but not everybody. Hmm. I can't remember if it's, if it's Northern Europeans that are really great with milk or bad with milk. I forget the whole numbers on it, but I had test, I had genetic testing done. Um, I just did the 23 me test initially. Yeah. And then we took that da- that data and looked at it in a different model than theirs. And I don't even produce the enzyme to break down milk. So it's not that I'm lactose intolerant. It's just, I can't break it down. So that's mm. why I would be intolerant. Yeah. Uh, and I find that even if I have some dairy occasionally, it doesn't hurt, harm me. It's that if you were doing it all the time, your body just is constantly inflamed. And then why wouldn't you have joint pain? Why wouldn't mm. you have headaches? Why wouldn't you have muscle pain? Uh, sometimes having dairy can having that chronic inflammation state, you could show up as being allergic to other things that that maybe are really mild or don't even truly affect you. But when you're on milk all the time, it has mm. a tendency to make things more flared. Yeah. It's like uh, a cross reactivity. Yeah. Right. I'm no expert. Right. But it's, right. that's one of those things that's worth looking at and knowing if you really should even have the stuff. Interesting that you mentioned the genetic component. Cause I actually got clued into this through my family, through my sister and my mom, my sister, especially she's kind of started noticing this over the years and finally just can't deny it. Like every time she has dairy, her back hurts, her lower back hurts and she feels achy and she finally put it together. But it was subtle enough that it was really hard to pinpoint for a lot of years, I think for her. But Mm -hmm. once she mentioned that, I was like, you know, I think I experienced that too. I think you're onto something. Very possible. The the 23 and me thing's really interesting. I'll be sure to link to the website. I, I haven't tried that. Is there anything else any other um, takeaways from that were that were informative or interesting? Well, you know, it's it's fascinating to see potential what your ethnicity is and where you've came, where your ancestors came from for real, yeah. right? Rather than hearing from family members, which isn't it's like the telephone game, you know, yeah. it gets diluted down and not really necessarily true. <laughs> uh, but even with genetics, you know, they, they're pretty good with heredity and be able to see where, where people came from, but it's also, you got to take it all with a grain of salt. It's still really new. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wouldn't believe everything in their health reports and that type of stuff. I mean, yeah, granted, I don't make the enzyme to process dairy. So that was pretty straightforward because I don't have the genes for it. So, uh, that, that was the biggest piece that came out of it for me. It was interesting to see the whole ethnicity and, you know, frankly, we're all mutts. 
No, right. The only way you're pure anything is because you're inbred, mm-hmm. right? You know, I saw Conan O'Brien found out he was 100% Irish, 100%. And, his, and the, the genesis he talked about, it, he goes, well, that's uh, true. You are 100% Irish because you're basically inbred. And he's like, oh, great. You know, so. <laughs> I've always thought that's so interesting, though, because yeah. 100% Irish, like, what does that even mean? You know, there's an arbitrary point in our past where mm-hmm. Ireland became a thing and the right. boundaries probably took a long time to solidify mm-hmm. and so where do we draw the line i don't know I, I just think it's i just think it's fascinating i don't know I don't maybe really these people lived in the valley and it. some valley somewhere in ireland and they didn't really i mean after a while genetics gets cleaned up right where you don't see markers for certain things mm-hmm. over generations and generations and generations uh and there was so much migration the irish migrated obviously i am irish <laughs> too like so many people um you know that's just how that all happened the great dilution the melting pot that doesn't seem to melt in people's minds but truly is slowly happening <laughs> cool I, yeah. I might have to look into that i think yeah, it's worth be, looking at it'd be interesting i you made me think of a story when you were mentioning that my grandmother she god rest her she just passed away a year ago but my whole life she took so much pride in being danish she'd make us these like Danish dishes that she learned about and, and would cook for us. And she just loved the cultural side of the Danish lifestyle and all that sort of stuff. I don't even know where she learned that stuff. Turns out she wasn't Danish at all. Like Wonderful. 0%. She thought she was a hundred percent Danish. You know, I don't remember where they found out she actually did come from, but someone <laughs> in my family did the test and was like, no. wait a second. <laughs> no... You know, she was probably more Danish than a lot of Danes. If she was going that deep into it, I give right. her props for, for pursuing it and staying with it, regardless of what her true ethnicity was. You know, uh, uh, cool. She never found out. <laughs> I love it. And I just love that. Oh, sure. It's, it's, it's endearing in its own way, right? You know, I think that's great. Yeah. Good for her. Good for her. <laughs> yeah. But most Danes I know are very Danish. <laughs> They're great people. <laughs> What is one of the best decisions or investments you've made? I think that uh, decision-wise, um, the best decision I ever made was to get into doing what I'm doing right now. Yeah, I kind of thought uh, you were going to say that. Yeah, great stuff. Uh, to uh, other great decisions, obviously, was never stop riding a bike just because I got a car. Because <laughs> uh, it's fun. I like that. Um, yeah, cool. You know, a lifetime of riding a bike. Um, Do you commute to work when it's on your bike when it's warmer? I walk because I'm only five minutes away. Oh, that's great. Yeah, it's really cool. Getting your steps in. I know. Some part of me wants a one wheel. Even okay. Even though it takes five minutes of walking out of my day, it sure looks fun. A one wheel? <laughs> Have you seen those? It's the one, it's like, it looks like a skateboard with one wheel oh, in yeah. the middle of it, and you bounce and rip around on it like a snowboard. Uh-huh. Just looks fun. Yeah. I'm probably not doing that, but um, yeah, it's a, a short walk to work, which is really cool. Uh, other decisions. Um, well, it just says I'm, I'm constantly fascinated and not just with what I do for a living, but looking into all kinds of other things in life and kind of always going down a rabbit hole a little bit here and there and exploring other things, Mm. uh, whether it's some new medical discovery or whether it's, you know, some technique that they've come out with things like that, where I just go, okay, well, that's great. I saw a little blurb on it or I, uh, but I go further than that. Mm try to get into the root of what things are and truly looking at systems and how they work and things like that to try to keep my brain active and stimulated. That's cool. Cause I don't like Sudoku. 
<laughs> I'd much rather be out solving the riddle of riding down a trail on my bike. It's, you know, it changes every time, but I also like really learning about new things and seeing if they jive with me or if I go, eh, maybe the bullshit meter is going off, you know? So I try to, I try to learn, learn as much as I can. Yeah. I you go. seem really open. You seem like you're totally willing to reshape your framework totally. and to reshape your paradigm which I really appreciate. I mean, there's a, there's so much information coming at us. Like you said, bullshit meter. We almost have to be careful these days, Yeah. but I don't know. We also hold on to so many assumptions mm-hmm. that just have nothing behind them. Yeah. And it's really fascinating when though, when you start to really look at some of those and like, why, why have we, why does everyone think it's this way? And why have we always, you know, why are we following these dietary guidelines or whatever it is and start challenging sure. that stuff? Yeah, because we all, I mean, any nutritionist would tell you that the nutrition pyramid that the government puts out is a joke, right? right? You know, it's like, not to just harp on nutrition, but it's, it's, it's a problem. <laughs> First example that came to my mind. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. It does, doesn't it though? Yeah. Because I mean, you start asking you questions, you start asking questions and it's just fascinating. It just opens up this world and you realize how many things we just kind of grow up into and just take for granted or just mm-hmm. take as truth. Yeah. Just dogma stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's but the way it, it but is. It's everywhere. Yeah. yeah. I think it's important to question dogma, you know, and really look outside of well, what, what would, what would be contrarian to that? And what would be contrarian to the contrarian? And, you know, <laughs> truly look at things critically. And, um, that's the only way you're gonna open up your mind is really not just take things at face value, but to truly look into them. Is there something that you have been especially grateful for lately? Uh, well, I'm, I'm grateful to be 51 <laughs> and making it every single, you know, people are like, Oh, you're 50. Oh, you're over the hill. Oh, you know? And I'm like, no, man, I'm happy to make it to 50. You know, I celebrated making it to 50. I celebrated making it to 51. Every time I have a, a, a new birthday, I'm just stoked to be there. I'm like, I put my arms up and I made it, you know, like yeah. that kind of thing, because we're never guaranteed tomorrow. We're not guaranteed later today. Mm-hmm. I'd rather, I'd rather celebrate the time I'm here and be grateful for what I got while I got it and, uh, and enjoy it along the way. That's cool. Is there, I'm curious to dig into that. Uh, is there some part of you that didn't think you'd make it this far when you were young? Ooh, that's a great question. Uh, not necessarily, okay. but, it, but it's weird to see time going by. And then you, you know, you start like, wow, 1990 was 30 years ago. I still feel like I'm a similar age to what I was when I was, was 1990, right. but I'm not. <laughs> right. I can totally relate. Yeah. It's I, odd. Right? I feel the same on the inside yeah. at 30 as I did when I was 20. And you'll feel 30 when you're 50. I'm sure I will. And it doesn't really shift it, but, um, I'm just happy to still be here doing what I like to do and, and enjoying my life. Cool. My family, you know, it's fantastic. What is something that you're excited about right now? springtime. Okay. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I, I, I love getting back to getting back to warmer weather, but, yeah. uh, I'm excited to do a bunch of skate skiing. I, okay. I know that the trails are really getting good now and I, w- I had a cold for a week and it messed me up with some really good snow that was falling up there. I didn't get to go, uh, that I'm excited to do. So activity. Have you been riding the bike at all? Uh, a little bit Okay. when the trails are good. We just had a bunch of snow, so it wasn't the best conditions to be out there doing it. And I kind of start getting Jones for it. I'm like, oh, I want to go do it, but it's, I don't want to go mess up a bunch of trails that are muddy. Right. And then I got to clean my bike too, which is a nightmare if it's all muddy. Have you ever tried fat tire biking? I have. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I would love to get one to okay. ride on the snow. I've, I've, see, I'm the kind of guy that wants the good gear. So <laughs> if I go get a fat bike, I'm worried I'm going to go get one that costs way too much. It's stupid. <laughs> right. So right. I have been, um, I've, I've said, okay, if I'm going to go fat biking, I'm just going to go rent one for 40 bucks Hmm. because I can rent one a hundred times and still be, you know, (laughs) 
in, in a better place than if I had bought one that got outdated or ticked maintenance or whatever. So when my friends go fat biking, I'll throw down some cash or mm. I know so many people at the shops. A lot of times they just count me a bike and, um, I can just take it out for a day or oh, half cool. a day and do it. Yeah. Nice. So I'm a good patron of the local bike yeah. shops. Awesome. Yeah. But yeah, fat biking is a blast. I advise everybody to try it on snow. That's where it's really fun. You fall and it's snow, you know, it's not bad. (laughs) Uh Uh, It's really interesting experience, but it's also quite a workout. You're going way slower and way shorter distance, but you're putting out a lot more Watts or power to go that slow and that distance. Yeah. So like running on the beach, right. Deep sand completely. Although it's, it's still more fun than that. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) I imagine it is. Yeah. More effort for shorter distance and lower speed, but it's really kind of cool to be out in it. Hmm. That's why I like cross country skiing too. It's kind of like being in the woods at a lower speed. sort of like I do on my mountain bike. So I guess I've got a problem. (laughs) That's a great problem to have. That's great. I'll hang on to it. Do you have any final thoughts or advice for, specifically climbers, if anything comes to mind, but for, um, prevention treatment or self-care around this sort of stuff, uh, be proactive. What does that look like? Just the stretching? Yeah. Lots of stretching. If things start hurting, figure out what they are sooner than later. Hmm. Uh, cause things don't usually get better if you're continuing to climb (laughs) constantly. Uh, you know, you might have a good day here and a good day there and and a bad day here and there. Uh, but don't just ignore it and think it's going to stop. Um, it's, it's tough because, you know, when you're younger, like I said, it's easier to rebound out of things. It's much better to get therapy along the way to solve the problems you're having now. So you don't have them way worse when you're in your forties or fifties or sixties, and you still want to go do things. Uh, and then the other thing I would say is, is cross training is huge. Mm. Um, not just going to a gym, but go out, go paddle boarding, uh, do go on a bike ride, do other stuff. Don't just climb. Hmm. Um, it's good for your brain. It's a different pattern. It's a different thing. It's a different way to get, uh, the fitness from it, right. Or fitness for it. So all of it bundles together and works well together. If climbing is your number one thing, then absolutely climb your brains out, but do mix in other things and do rest and do hydrate like crazy, especially out on hot rocks and everything. Drink way more than you think you ever should. Um, just to keep the system smooth and functioning and working. Don't ignore things when they come up. As far as hydration goes, do you take electrolytes or do you recommend that for people? I would, if I was hanging on hot rocks all day at Smith, Okay, you know, I would definitely make sure I had something going in other than just water. Yeah. Um, you know, hammer nutrition makes a lot of good products not to just put them up there, but, uh, there's a lot of companies that do that are the right amount of sugars and the right amount of the type of sugars that are in their drinks, not Gatorade mm. and not Cytomax right off the shelf at a seven 11 better than nothing. Right. Mm-hmm. But you're getting a big punch of food coloring with that stuff. And if you're going to go buy Gatorade or stuff like that, get one that's clear. Don't get an orange or blue or hot pink, you know, mm-hmm. try to get something that doesn't have any dye in it, but you can get the stuff that's powdered. That stuff's great from, from hammer. I like their, their different from hammer. Have, yeah. Okay. He's their one they use for electrolyte replacement, but cool. They have some that have a little protein in them and things like that. If you could do whey protein. Okay. Yeah. All that stuff. That's good to have. And that's something that gets missed when we're young too, like high school sports. And they just give them Gatorade all the time. Or yeah. Some junk, you know, cause they're kids and then yeah. kids bounce back no matter what, really, if they get a break. So, um, but getting, getting that going and knowing when you need it, you'll see an advantage in endurance and, um, and just clarity and everything else. If you're hydrated well and you're, you're not tanked out in one way or the other. Mm. Yeah. 
Cool. I'll put a link to Hammer. One one I really liked is Element, L-M-N-T. Oh, yeah. Um, and that's an electrolyte mix without any sugar, which I really oh, appreciate. Great. So that's been a, a good one, too. Anything that goes in that you can burn and it rejuvenates you, that's a good thing. Cool. Not necessarily Red Bull. <laughs> <laughs> I've had Red Bull save my butt, though. <laughs> sure. If I crashed out, like, oh, I'm so bonked. It's brought me back from the edge, but <laughs> I wouldn't use it regularly. <laughs> Some climbers do, man. So, I know. Yeah, I, I, I don't think that's a sustainable strategy either. No, it's a big punch, and then you crash afterwards. Hmm. It's never good on the other end. As far as the cross training goes, I mean, you work with some really high level athletes, like we talked about, some Olympic athletes. <clears throat> Is that a consistent, a consistent thing that you see with these other athletes, regardless of the sport? Are they all doing some sort of cross training, just getting out and moving in, in different ways? I'd say almost all of my ultra runners, which you think ultra runners that run big distances, all they want to do is run big distances. A lot of them get on mountain bikes huh. and go out because they're still in the woods, right? Yeah. But they mix it up that way uh, because it takes the pounding impact out and they still get a good cardio workout that they need and they're still using their legs and everything else. Um, and they're doing strength training, um, all kinds of different things, um, you know, to mix it up because it's good for your brain. Mm -hmm. It's just a different thing. It seems like paddleboarding might be a really good companion to climbing. It would be upper you body, a lot of core, core stability. Yep. Yeah, I love paddleboarding. That's but another much, thing we just got much into. Much gentler, much less grip focused. It is cool. Yeah. I have to try that. You should throw a paddleboard on top of the van. There you go. Another item for the van. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, what's next for you? Just Lunch. doing what you're doing. Oh. Lunch. Uh, no, um, I'm going to keep doing what I'm going to do, and I'm going to try to develop the the laser practice. Yeah. That's the next thing I'm doing. Um, I'm gonna start taking some other courses too, just to broaden my perspective on a few things in different classes. I want to take more of, uh, okay. Neurokinetic therapy, really cool stuff. That's kind of working with the muscles to figure out, you know, okay, if this one's off, why is it off? And why is this one on and how do we get them? So they're working in unison. Mm. Um, I took the first level of that class and I really liked it, but I had taken it just after, right after taking another class, it was so much so much information that it kind of bounced off my head instead of going in the way I wanted. Okay. It was too close to one weekend. And then the next weekend I was trying to still processing the previous weekend stuff and trying to learn new. It just wasn't working out. So I got to go take it again. Uh, but neurokinetic therapy is really cool stuff. And those providers are typically pretty great too. Cool. Yeah. Nothing are, to look for. Are you able to integrate that stuff or is that just cause you're curious and, uh, I'm able to integrate it for yeah. sure. Um, you know, all the stuff we're doing is releasing tissue, uh, primarily. And this is well, like, why are you releasing that and getting other muscles to engage, to pick up the slack? Like you have people that have uh, tons of neck pain while well, their abs aren't functioning well. So we get the abs turned on, release the neck, and then they kind of balance out. It's like that kind of thing. So it's, mm. it's a little different way of thinking about it. And I really appreciate it. And I think it's, it's something I want to just add in or dabble in more mm -hmm. and get a better, you know, go to level two and level three and kind of see what I see, what I see from it and, and move that that direction. Yeah. David Weinstock came out with a wonderful plan with neurokinetic therapy, treatment, treatment setup that I needed to dive into deeper. Cool. Yeah. Where can people find you? On my website, uh, markdjohn.com. Okay. That's the easiest way to find me. It's a D E J O H N is the last name. Mark with a K. Yeah. Feel free to reach out if you need to. I'll link to it. Yeah. Climbers, if you're coming to Smith, you should drive to Bend and see Mark. <laughs> I'll help you out. <laughs> It'll help you out if you got any niggles, anything that's bothering you. 
I want to wrap up by reading the review I left. This is the review I left on your website back in June of 2019 after we'd been working together for a a month or two, maybe six weeks or something. And the title of the review is Helped with Carpal Tunnel Syndrome. I'm a rock climber and have been dealing with carpal tunnel syndrome for six to seven years. It took time, but now after about 10 or so sessions with Mark, I can confidently say that things have drastically improved. I've tried loads of stuff over the years and ART is the first thing that really seems to move the needle. Mark is incredibly friendly and honest and will give it to you straight. He helped me understand what was causing the issue and his solution is working. Highly recommend. Thank you. <laughs> Mark, it's, it's been a pleasure uh, working with you and it really has been a, a huge help and I see that you really care and you're helping a lot of people. So um, Thank you, Steve. cheers Appreciate to you that. and thanks so much for your time. Not a problem, man. I enjoy it. All right. Take care. Like we do it.